0: Tonight's reading comes from Romans chapter 15, verses 14 to 33. I myself am convinced, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, complete in knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. I have written to you quite boldly on some points, as if to remind you of them again, because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, with the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might be an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done, by the power of signs and miracles, through the power of the Spirit. So, from Jerusalem all the way round to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who were not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. This is why I have often been hindered from coming to you. But now that there is no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I have been longing for many years to see you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to visit you while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there after I have enjoyed your company for a while. Now, however, I am on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the saints there. For Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it and... Indeed, they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. So after I've completed this task and have made sure they have received this fruit, I will go to Spain and visit you on the way. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the full measure of the blessings of Christ. I urge you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Pray that I may be rescued from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service in Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints there, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and together with you be refreshed. The God of peace be with you all. Amen.
1: Let's bow our heads and uh, pray together. Dear God in heaven, thank you that you still speak to us through your word, the Bible. We praise you that your spirit is here with us now to speak through these words. And we know that you know the interior condition of our hearts, you know exactly what's going on in our lives You know what lies behind the pretense and the facade. So we pray, Lord, that you'd help us to put aside distracting thoughts, help us to concentrate, to understand, help us to listen to what you say, help us to be willing to change. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as you uh, no doubt know from the newspapers, the uh, Anglican Church around the world is... uh, torn by division and confusion, and uh, one of the presenting issues is uh, what kind of ministry is acceptable in a church. Uh, Is it uh, simply okay to have anybody, or does the Bible still govern who is um, available, who is appropriate to lead in a church? Of course, the presenting issues are homosexual practicing clergy and women bishops, But uh, the bigger issue is really, does the Bible still govern uh, the way we do ministry in the Church of England? Well, in this um, uh, passage, the Apostle Paul very kindly describes his own ministry so that it's quite clear and plain what kind of ministry ought to be practiced in Christian churches today. Of course, the Apostle Paul has a foundational role, uh, like the other apostles who were Jesus' appointed messengers, who heard Jesus' teaching and were enabled by Jesus to write down what he taught, they do have a unique foundational role. So, uh, their message and their ministry is foundational for us. But uh, they are an example, therefore, for us to copy. In other words, we teach their message and we adopt their ministry. We continue it today. We don't want to overemphasize the uniqueness of the apostle. The apostolic message and ministry are still the pattern for what we say and do today, because Jesus authorized them to speak for him. Now, what we find in this passage is that he describes himself in verses 14 to 16 as a minister of Christ to the Gentiles, proclaiming the gospel of God. Let me read verses 14 to 16 again. I myself am convinced, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, complete in knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. I have written to you quite boldly on some points, as if to remind you of them again, because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, with the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God. He uses the language here of ministry and actually, uses the language of the temple, the Old Testament temple, like a minister in the temple. The word he, he does that throughout this passage, and the word he uses here is the word liturgy. Um, if you've been in Anglican churches before, you may know that liturgy is the word often used for the set form of words used in many Anglican churches. But what the apostle describes here as the work of liturgy is much broader than just the words in a meeting is actually the whole ministry of proclaiming the gospel of God. And so he speaks here of ministry for God, of Christ to the Gentiles, that is non-Jews. He's a minister. He says "As a minister of Christ Jesus. He's returning to, in this passage actually, as he gets to the end of his book, he, uh, he's returning to the themes at the beginning of his book, in his introduction. And he emphasises that the message he teaches is about Jesus, but it's not just any old Jesus you want to believe in. It's not Jesus, however I like to think of him. It's Christ Jesus. That is to say that Jesus, the historic man from the first century, the Nazarene man, who was crucified on a cross in public, as all the historians, Christian and non-Christian, record, that Jesus is the Christ, which means that he is the chosen king. That is that he is the promised saviour king, promised in the Old Testament, the great king. Jesus is that great saviour king. More than that, the apostle says he's the apostle to the Gentiles. Uh, when he became a Christian, God specifically said to Paul, set him apart and said, look, my other apostles are dealing with the Jews in Jerusalem, but you've got to go to the non-Jews, the Gentiles. So although he was Jewish... He was commissioned specifically to go to non-Jews like us, most of us here, and to do so proclaiming the gospel of God. Uh, The gospel of God is a phrase that he used right at the beginning in chapter 1 and now he uses it again at the end because actually the whole letter is about the gospel of God. Gospel means announcement, momentous announcement. So the whole letter is about the momentous announcement of God. Uh, You remember back in chapter one we learned that this gospel of God is about the Son of God, Jesus Christ our Lord. And it's the power of God to save anybody who believes, because it reveals the righteousness of God. That is the goodness that none of us have in ourselves. I mean, how are we going to live with God? We're not good enough. Right, it's not difficult, is it? We're not good enough to live with God. So where are we going to get the goodness we need? Well, the whole letter has been about this, basically saying it's available in Christ. Jesus lived the perfect life you and I never live. And he lived it for us, and his righteousness is counted to us. And that's why the gospel is such marvelous news. The gospel of God about the Son of God is the power of God because it reveals the righteousness of God. Now, this gospel, the gospel of Romans, uh, is, of course, what the ministry is all about. You see, it's God's gospel. It's not, a, it's not man's gospel. This is not an invented message. It has come from God in Christ. And so the whole Gafcon conference we were talking about earlier was all about reasserting and recommitting publicly and clearly and simply that we want to be churches committed to the gospel of God. And genuine ministry will be the gospel of God, not the inventions of man. Not the uh, revisions and improvements, the developments that people want to bring to the gospel to make it more convenient to live by. No, God's gospel. And we're to announce that to the world. Now, the apostle then gives five characteristics uh, of this uh, ministry. And it's a ministry not just for those of us who get paid to do it. It's a ministry for all Christians. And I've put them there on the sheet for you. The first is his purpose. His purpose is was an offering acceptable to God. I think this is really quite surprising, so why don't you come with me to to verse 16, I'll read it again. The priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Surprisingly, Paul describes his ministry in the temple language of a priestly duty making an offering acceptable to God. Now, this will be interesting for some amongst us uh, who've got their uh, uh, Anglican interviews for uh, ordained ministry soon. Uh, You need to get your head around this verse if you haven't already. Uh, Priestly duty. Um, Anglican clerics talk about priestly duty all the time. But this is very different to the Roman Catholic or Anglo-Catholic pattern of priesthood, which, as you may know, is about offering um, sacraments of baptism and communion to people and the body of Christ on an altar to God, for our sins in the Mass. But uh, Paul's description of his priestly duty is totally different to that. You see, Christ has once for all offered himself. He's the high priest offering himself as the sacrifice for sins on the cross. And that doesn't need to be repeated on a table by anybody else. So now Paul's priestly duty is quite different to that sacrifice on the cross in three respects. Firstly, he proclaims the gospel to the to the nations, not the sacraments. So he says, the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God. So what he gives to the nations is not bread and wine, but the gospel. The gospel, the message that Christ announces to the world. Secondly, what he offers to God is not bread and wine on a table, but people, people who are sanctified and holy. An offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So you see, the priestly ministry, you see, is to to preach the gospel to people and to offer them in holiness to God. Notice also, thirdly, he's not unique in this ministry. As Israel in the Old Testament was called to be a priesthood, now all Christians are a royal priesthood, uh, offering to God people from all nations who have become Christians, not for our sins, but as a thank offering in gratitude to God. You may remember a couple of chapters earlier in chapter 12, Paul had said this, in view of God's mercy, Jesus' death on the cross, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. See, Therefore, you see, we have a priestly ministry, all of us who are Christians. Everyone who's a Christian has a priestly ministry to be an offering acceptable to God in being holy. In other words, offer yourself, offer your life to God in holiness. Put away the sin that's gripped you over this last week, this last month, and offer yourself, sacrificially, however much it costs, to God as a sacrifice. Offer yourself as a sacrifice and make an offering acceptable to God by proclaiming the gospel to others and drawing people to serve him in holiness. So you see, we're not Old Testament priests anymore. We don't wear the vestments of a pre-Christian priesthood of the temple. No, Christ has died on the cross. So the, the ministry of sacrifices for sins is finished. We wear the clothes of the high street, or from a couple of decades ago in my case. But we wear the clothes of the high street for an apostolic priesthood of gospel ministry. It's the priesthood of all believers, gospel ministry. So his purpose was an offering acceptable to God. That's the priestly duty that we all share. Secondly, his glory. What was his glory? What was he proud of? What was he trying to achieve? What was he glad to have done? Answer, leading the Gentiles to obey God. Look with me at verse 17 to 19. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I'll not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I've said and done, by the power of signs and miracles through the power of the Spirit. So from Jerusalem all the way around to Likram, I've fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. You see, therefore, he says, in light of his priestly duty to proclaim the gospel, Paul will glory, literally, boast in things very different to what the world boasts in. We, we are in a very boastful culture at the moment, aren't we? I um, mean, it's in the heart of man, so it's always been like this. But, but you know, you'll notice, don't we, people are full of themselves. Uh, you know, we're encouraged to promote ourselves, to believe in ourselves, to make the most of ourselves, to, you know, to really push ourselves. Um, I don't know how you fill in uh, a job application anymore. Because you have to boast so much to get a job. I don't know what you do. You know, P.S., this isn't all true, but this is what I'm supposed to say to get a job or something like that. Well, the apostle boasts not about himself, but about Christ. He says, nothing except what Christ has accomplished through me. He acknowledges that he has been the instrument of Christ's work. And so he glorifies Christ rather than himself when he talks about his ministry which is a reminding to all of us, perhaps especially those of us who get paid to do ministry, that when we speak of our buildings or our small groups, of our church or of our co congregations, of our summer camps or our lunchtime ministries or the conventions we speak at, we need to believe in our hearts and we need to say with our lips that we recognize that we have just been the spanners the tools that God has used to do his work in Christ's great work of building his church. You know, we, we, we're, just the, we're just the tools. It's Jesus Christ who's done the work. We're the instruments of his ministry. He says, What is that ministry? In leading the Gentiles to obey God. So the work you see is not numbers in church. In fact, you, you can't tell from the apostle how many people came to any of his churches. He's just not interested in the numbers. What he's interested in is obedience to God. That is the obedience of faith. Again, a theme from chapter 1. See, the grace of God in Jesus Christ is not license to do whatever we want. It's not permission to just carry on being ungodly. It's to teach us to obey God in gratitude. The grace of God is the motivation and the power from God's Spirit to obey God. So particularly in the area of sexual activity, which is the area where the Bible clashes with modern culture in Britain at the moment, it's not that the Bible is obsessed with sex, it's not that Christians are obsessed with sex, it's that our culture is obsessed with sex. It's very striking when you go to the Middle East for a week and you're in a culture that is not eroticized in that way. And, you know, go a whole week, you're not sort of bombarded with sexual images the whole time. It's very striking how different it is. You come back here in the West and we are superheated, aren't we, as a culture? And so that's the clash point. With the Bible. Well, in that area, being a Christian means obedient to God. It means keeping sexual activity within a permanent marriage between a man and a woman in lifelong union. A gospel ministry is about leading people to be obedient to God. You see, it's not saying it's not permitted by God to just carry on as if nothing's happened, and if God doesn't care. We're to help one another to obey God. We all find it hard. But being a Christian is about obedience to God. And this is done through the power of the Spirit. Paul rejoices in the work of God's Spirit through him. As an apostle, he was authenticated by signs and miracles. Still, still authenticate him today, as we read about them. As the one who is revealing the truth of Christ. And we need to recognize the power of the Spirit enables us to do this ministry. And many of us, will, many of us perhaps who are not Christians here this evening, will think, oh, I couldn't live a life of obedience to God. Are you thinking that? I can't do it. Uh, the way I've lived all these years, I can't change. I understand that. We all thought that before we became a Christian. But actually, you see, God's Spirit helps us to change. We can't do it on our own. But the Spirit of God helps everyone who turns to Christ, whatever the issues are, to be different. We're not perfect. We're not what we are. We're a work in progress by the power of the Spirit. So the Apostles' glory and our glory should be in what Christ has been doing. Let us give credit where credit is due. We need to believe that nothing good can be done through us, any of us, except by Christ. And when we rejoice in the growth in our congregation, across our congregations, we need to believe and to remind one another that Christ has done the work. It's not because we're so clever it's not because we've invented churches. Christ has grown and built our church, and we are merely the toolbox that he's used. So we don't want the kind of, well, I have to say it's slightly American, but it's, it's British now as well, isn't it? Sort of celebrity culture. Christ is the only celebrity here, and he is the one we praise. To him be the Glory. So the glory of the Apostle is in Christ as he leads Gentiles to obey God. And that's what we need to be uh, praising him for. Thirdly, what about his ambition? Um, The word ambition is often used negatively in the New Testament, but here it's used positively. Uh, So often ambition means selfish ambition. But here it's his drive. What's the drive of his ministry in life? Verses 20 to 22, to preach the gospel where Christ was not known. Look at verse 20. It's always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I wouldn't be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it's written, those who weren't told about him will see, and those who haven't heard will understand. Now, Paul is speaking here in a general summary of his ministry. and um, We don't need to develop wooden laws about ministry from his description, but there are some important principles to learn here. Firstly, he says he's fully proclaimed the gospel in the region. He doesn't mean, of course, he's spoken to every individual in it. That would have been impossible. Uh, But on the whole, starting with Jerusalem, he's preached and planted churches in key towns and cities, and so he's confident that the work of the gospel can carry on and can grow from those cities into the whole area. And so we need to think strategically too. Uh, We don't just sort of sit in our church rejoicing in the gospel work that we have And just um, reach our own friends and neighbours. We need to think about the whole region. How are we going to reach London? How are we going to reach the United Kingdom? How are we going to reach Europe and the world? And to do what we can towards those massive things. And we need to think strategically to establish churches in town centres from which the gospel can flow out to the unreached. That's why we think about putting churches at the intersections of tube lines like Green Park or in the centres of towns and communities where the gospel can flow out to people and more churches can be planted. Notice also the apostle says, I want to preach the gospel where Christ was not known. That is, he wants to reach the unreached. Now this has some important uh, lessons for us. Let me mention three things. We're not to be into, into sheep stealing. You know, we're not interested in uh, grabbing Christians from other churches where the gospel is being preached and bringing them to our church so that we can feel good about how big our numbers are. We're not interested in sheep stealing. Now, sheep rescuing is another matter. If they're going to a place where the gospel is simply not taught, then, of course, it's different. We want them to hear what the gospel really is. But we're not interested in sheep stealing. Sometimes, because God has given us growth, we're accused of it, and there's no evidence for it. Uh, Our congregations are not known or grabbing uh, Christians from other churches, and we're not interested in it. Secondly, we're not into cake cutting. Sometimes you can uh, do your ministry, and I know the pressure to do this, where what you really want to do is to get more of the Christians to our church that are moving around the country. In particular, for example, as the students flow to London from universities, perhaps less so than they used to, we want to have a bigger slice of the pie. And so we could shape our ministry, you see, to try and reach those Christians, so we get a bigger slice of the same, same pie of Christians. Do you see what I mean? Perhaps you haven't thought so wickedly like that. Let me introduce you to the wicked thinking of clergy. You see, you can think to yourselves, we want a bigger, bigger chunk of the Christian pie. We're not interested in that. We want to reach people who aren't yet Christians. Sometimes that's slower and harder. It would be much easier just to gather all the Christians in our church. What's the point of doing that? The apostle wants to reach people who need Jesus and not take them from elsewhere. And also it means we're not into merry-go-rounds. We're not interested in just providing ministers for the existing jobs. Now, of course, that needs to be done, you see. Sometimes you get the impression that Christians, they just want to move Christians from one good Christian church to another Christian church, and put ministers from one good Christian church into another existing good Christian church. And so people just get shoveled around the existing gospel churches. This is a sort of merry-go-round. Frankly, I'm not interested in that. We need plenty more gospel churches if we're going to reach London and this country. Now, there's nothing wrong with doing that. There's nothing wrong with going to a church that needs a gospel minister. But we can't only fill the gospel churches that exist. We've got to start more gospel churches. We're nowhere near reaching this nation with the gospel. I mean, just um, uh, there's a temptation, you, think, you see, to think that because there's a parish, a Church of England parish everywhere in the country, well, the, country, the country's covered. Don't need any more churches. Because there's a parish everywhere. The trouble is, of course, if you take the statistics, most in most parishes the gospel is not being preached. And even in the parishes where the gospel is being preached, most people in the parish are not hearing it. I mean, just, just do, do your maths. You know, if, if there's 150 people going to the parish church and another 150 people going to the local Baptist church or free church, well, that's 300 people going to church out of a parish of 15,000. And maybe another 500 turn up at Christmas. So maybe there's a whole thousand who hear the gospel once a year. But there's 15,000 in the parish, multiplied by every parish across the city. Do you see? There are so many thousands and millions of people who are not hearing the gospel in language they can understand. And we need to stop seeing parishes as exclusion zones where nobody else is allowed to start anything and see them as areas of responsibility where we need to make sure that everybody hears the gospel. Even in London, we need not just a few, we need thousands more gospel churches. And I, for one, am not going to die wondering. We're going to do what we can to reach all those people, as the Apostle Apostle himself said. And the reason for it, verse 21, is this quote from Isaiah 52. The great promise of the Old Testament is that the suffering servant, the Messiah, would reach people who didn't know about him. Those who were not told about him will see. Those who have not heard will understand. Jesus came to be a missionary, and he wants his churches to be missionary too. So we have an obligation, you see, to reach the unreached. So no sheep stealing, no cake cutting, no merry-go-rounds. We want to reach the unreached. Fourthly, let's look at his plan. Well, his plan, verse uh, uh, 22 to 29, is to have the Romans assist him to have you assist me. Look what he says. This is why I've often been hindered from coming to you, that is, because he's been reaching the unreached. But now that there's no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I've been longing for many years to see you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to visit you while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there after I've enjoyed your company for a while. Now, however, I'm on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the saints there, The Macedonia and Rechaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor amongst the saints in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it. Indeed, they owe it to them. For the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings. They owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. So, after I've completed this task and have made sure that they've received this fruit, I'll go to Spain and visit you on the way. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the full measure of the blessing of Christ. So, What's his plan? It's to keep moving. Far from retiring or slowing down, Paul wants to reach not just other regions, but other nations. He says, I'm planning to go to Spain. That, of course, is why throughout the letter he's been explaining the need of all nations to hear of Jesus. You see, everyone around the world is aware that God is there, but we don't want to serve him, and so we invent human religions instead. So we're all in trouble for rebelling against God and therefore the nations need Jesus as their saviour. And so he's going to go to Spain. That's very striking, isn't it? I mean, you'd think he could settle down and spend 40 years in one of the bigger churches. Why not spend some, you know, he spent two or three years in Ephesus. Why not spend 40 years there? Uh, I mean, certainly all the bigger churches in this country have benefited from people staying 30 or 40 years. Why didn't the apostle do that? Because Spain needs to hear the gospel. So he's left Timothy to look after Ephesus, and he's moved on. Uh, As it happens, that's why I'm stepping back from leading TBT now. Leaving Matt Fuller in charge of this congregation, I'm going to try and start some new ministries. I've got to go to Wimbledon for a year, and I'm going to try and start something, hopefully in Waterloo, somewhere else we'll see in a year or two's time. And I take it that the apostles are our example in this. We want to keep going until we drop, and uh, not just retire. He wants to keep going as a minister. His his missionary passion is not lost. I'm, of course, not saying that those that do stay a long time have lost their missionary passion, but the apostle is putting it into practice, isn't he, as he keeps moving, says, I'm off to Spain. And what he asks for is the support of the Christians. And you ask yourself, why does he go on and on about the financial generosity of the Greeks in Macedonia and Achaia? Because, of course, that's what he's going to need from the Romans too. He wants to remind them of the sacrificial generosity of the Greeks because he's going to need their assistance if he's going to get to Spain. He's going to need money as well as their prayers and hopefully people to go with him if he's going to preach the gospel and plant churches in Spain. And he explains that there's an obligation, you see, to share not only spiritual but also material blessings – and he's unashamed to ask for that support, financial and otherwise. And so it is our practice and commission, isn't it, to supply people and money for church plants. And what that means, of course, is that we don't have it for ourselves. Sometimes we can't have what we want in this church because we've given it away. And that's right. We should share our material and spiritual blessings. And even if it means sending good people to New Zealand, I suppose we have to be willing to see them go. So fourthly, his plan was to have them assist him. And we want to assist one another as we reach London and the world for the gospel. Fifthly, his appeal. What's his appeal? Join me in my struggle by praying. Verses 30 to 33. Let's read those last verses. I urge you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Pray that I may be rescued from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service in Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints there so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and together with you be refreshed. The God of peace be with you all. Amen. It's uh, very encouraging. He describes ministry as a struggle. Um, I'm sure you all find ministry, serving Jesus Christ, is a struggle, isn't it? Standing out from the crowd, being different to everybody else, saying no to, to wicked things you want to do. Uh, you know, pushing yourself about to get to small groups midweek, get to the prayer meeting, get to church. It's a struggle. It's hard. And when you get paid for it, it stays hard. It's, you know, ministry is a struggle from beginning to end. So none of this kind of, you know, floating around in happy victory the whole time. Just not apostolic ministry. If you're floating around in happy victory all the time, do some more work because you're not struggling hard enough. Now, his ministry was a struggle because, of course, he faced Opposition. But of course, he was empowered by the resurrection life of Christ. And if you want to know the power of God in your life, get involved in ministry because you'll find, as you struggle, you can do it, and you'll look back at over the year and see what God has done through. So, you know, I, I'm amazed. I kept going, and the only answer is God. Now, in this struggle, he says, "Look, join me in my struggle." Now, the Romans could have been thinking, "What are you, what are you talking about? We live in Italy." You're on your way to Jerusalem and then you go to Spain. How can we, you know, we live in Rome. How can we help you? He says, join me in my struggle by praying. So you can be anywhere in the world and support ministry by prayer. And the apostle says, join me, will you? I need your help. Will you pray for me? He's not too big to ask for prayer. And I would ask you, as all of us on the staff team would ask you, please pray for us. Not because we're special, we're not. But because we're weak. And we need your prayers. Please pray for us. You know, when you think our sermons are rubbish, which they often are, pray harder. When you notice how wicked we are, pray more. When you see how weak we are, we need your prayer. As we pray for you as well. We need to pray for one another. Because by praying, God responds to prayer and takes the glory for what's happened, so that we all know when we get together the only reason he's kept going is because we've prayed for him. If we don't pray, then why won't God just close us down? Why won't he just say, look, they seem to think they can carry on without me. They've plainly forgotten that I'm doing the work through them. I don't think I'll help them anymore, and we'll just shrink and shrivel and die. We must keep praying if we want God to be involved in our ministry. Uh, notice, in fact, that prayers are not always answered the way we want. He says there, um, uh, pray that I may be rescued from the unbelievers in Judea. Well, he wasn't. Uh, he was, he was uh, seized and uh, executed. So uh, God had other plans, and prayers are not always answered the way we want. He never got to Rome or to Spain. But, of course, the gospel did. The gospel got to Spain and to, from there to South America, and the gospels got around, all around the world. As we discovered in GAFCON last week. So join in the struggle by praying. It's like one of those um, tug of wars, you know, at the end of the revive weekend when we go away. Some people are very happy just to kind of yell from the sidelines, and you kind of think, please, why don't you join in? You know, join in, join the struggle, help us. You can do that by praying. So there you are, Then there's the apostolic ministry, the genuine gospel ministry, which uh, ministry in Anglican churches and free churches alike. I'm not too fussed about the denominations. What we care about is gospel ministry. What's it marked by? Firstly, well, it's a priestly ministry of proclaiming the gospel. Priestly ministry of proclaiming the gospel. It's a glorifying ministry that praises God for bringing people into obedience to him. It's an ambitious ministry. It's driven. It doesn't just settle back and smoke a pipe for 50 years. It's a driven ministry, driven to preach to the unreached. We've got to reach these people before they die. And it's an assisted ministry. It needs the financial support of the Romans. And it's a struggling ministry that is strengthened by the prayers of God's people. That's normal ministry. That's the apostolic pattern of ministry. That's the ministry you want in this church. That's the ministry you want for other churches. That's what the country and the world needs. And pray that you will always have it here. Pray for Matt Fuller as he steps up to lead the team here. Pray that he will be like this. Pray that I'll continue to be like this. Pray that the Church of England will be like this. Pray that the world will be covered with apostolic ministry like this. I've said enough before we pray. Pray. Um, we're often in the habit of asking for questions or comments. So if you've got any questions or comments about this passage, or indeed if you have any prophetic insight into what the passage means for us today, then uh, you'd be very welcome to ask your question or contribute your, your insight to us. So anybody like to ask a question or say anything? Um, yes, he says, I fully proclaimed In fact, he, he literally says, I have fulfilled the gospel of Christ. Um, uh, well... It clearly doesn't mean he's spoken to every individual. Uh, it must mean that he's, he feels he's completed the, the, the demands of the gospel in the area. So, as a senior gospel preacher, he's preached the gospel in the key towns, he's, he's trained leaders, he's planted churches, sorry, trained leaders, they are going concerns, and he can see that they can carry on without him. So, they're established. And he says, the best thing I can do for the gospel now is to move on. And that's what I feel about TBT. So it's not, it's not that he's done all that can be done. There's lots more to do. It's just there are millions out there in Spain or in London who haven't heard the gospel. we have got to keep going. Dear God, thank you for bringing us to church this evening. You know our needs. You know what we're really like pray, Lord, that whether we're very unfamiliar with Christian things and find it strange that we're here at all, or very familiar, and we've known you for years and years, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for the joy we find in him. Thank you for the forgiveness that is available in him. We pray that you would fill our hearts with his forgiveness and his joy. We pray, Lord, that we would want to serve him, to minister to others for him. And we pray that this pattern of gospel ministry would be ours. We pray that it would mark this church and indeed Anglican churches in this country and across the world and indeed for all Christian churches. We pray that this apostolic pattern would be followed with a priestly ministry that proclaims the gospel, a glorifying ministry that praises God for those who now obey him. An ambitious ministry that wants to reach the unreached. And de- A dependent ministry that looks for financial support from others. A struggling ministry that enjoys the support of prayer. Lord Jesus, please would you establish that ministry in our lives and in the lives of this church. We ask it for the glory of Jesus Christ alone. Amen.